As you're having a seat, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. Uh, but I have a question for you. Any, any of you uh, remember taking the SAT? <laughs> so yeah, for some of you, it's a, you know, it's a very recent memory. For some, it's very, very distant memory long ago. So let me remind you of, of how the, uh, the SAT is structured in case you've forgotten that uh, painful memory. Let me just help you relive it again for a moment, right? Remember, there's sections, and you can't work ahead, and you can't go back, right? You have a limited amount of time to finish one section, and then when that's over, you turn the page, and you move to the next section. Don't go back and fill things in. Don't go forward and work ahead, right? So I remember uh, when I took the SAT the first time, I was up in uh, Harrington Building on campus, and uh, we were into section two or three, and it was a math section, and I'm a math kind of guy, and I'm just motoring through it. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is so easy. I'm just killing it. I'm, I'm, I'm just flying. I'm, I'm loving it. Like this, I am in my element. I'm not so much a verbal guy, irony, right, what I do in my job now, but I, I'm, I'm killing the math section, and, and I finish, and I look up, and everybody else is still working. I mean, everybody in the whole room is working, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's right. I'm a math guy, you know, and then they keep working and working. It's like 10 minutes. And I, at one point I remember thinking to myself, I'm probably the smartest guy in the room. (laughs) So the section finally finishes. Most people are scrambling until the end. The proctor says, okay, now you can turn the page. And I turned the page and I realized I'd left two pages blank. Yeah, is right. I mean, oh man, it was horrible. Like, I guess I'll be taking this again. I guess I'm not the smartest person in the room after all. (laughs) Learned my lesson. So my point of the illustration is simply this. There's something in each and every one of us that we want to look for things in ourselves that allow us to say, I'm better than the people around me. All of us have that. We we want to find stuff that's inherent to us, that, that we possess, that belongs to us, that we can say, I'm better than you. This is me. This is you. It's called pride, and it's really gross and ugly and nasty, and it's embedded in each and every one of us because that's what we inherited from Adam and Eve. Remember when Satan came and he tempted Eve, he said, Eve, you know, really, you're, you're better than this. You don't have to remain under God's authority and in submission to God. You don't have to do what God has told you to do in the garden. In fact, you can be God. And she took the bait, she ate the fruit, she handed the fruit to her husband, Adam. And in that very moment, what they experienced was fear. Fear and shame and guilt And they covered themselves over in what had once been this wonderfully intimate relationship with one another and with God became estrangement and alienation. They felt vulnerable. They felt powerless. Pride moved to fear and then fear moved to anger and hatred. The next sin that's recorded after the taking of the fruit is Cain kills his brother, Abel, right? We we move from a bite of fruit to murder, just like that. Why? Because Cain was jealous of his brother Abel because he, had, he was making a better sacrifice and he was envious of his brother. And that's really the history of humanity, right? It's, it's pride and it's fear and it's anger and it's hatred. And these are the things that embed all of our relationships and make things so very difficult. And there is only one solution to that, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? There, there's absolutely no other solution but the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no social program. There's no political solution. It is just the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're just joining us for the first time, you've been across the street all semester, we are in the book of Ephesians. And I want to kind of get you uh, up to speed with what we've been looking at in Ephesians. So I'm going to give you uh, the summary verse 
for the first three chapters. It's Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul says, anything and everything good that heaven has to offer, it has given you in Jesus Christ. You're blessed. And he goes on to say, what that means is God, the Heavenly Father, has chosen you because he wanted you to be a part of his family. He's making a family for himself, and he wants you to be in that. But there's a barrier between you and God. It is your sin, and so he sent his son to redeem you. That is, pay the purchase price to set you free from slavery to sin and death. So you've been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and then sealed over by the Holy Spirit that is guaranteed that you have eternal life with God. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But the question that the early church really wrestled through was this. Is that true for everyone? Right? Are these blessings available to everyone, regardless of their age or gender or their wealth or lack of wealth or their race, whether they're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian, Scythian? Is, still, is that really true for everyone? The reason they wrestled with that is because there were a lot of barriers, a lot of division in society in the first century. Incredible separation. The Jews hated the Romans. Why? Well, the Romans were the oppressors, and they were just the latest in all of the oppressive nations that had overtaken Israel. For 600 years, they had been living under foreign domination, and now it was the Romans, and they hated the Romans because the Romans could come into their homes, and they could take their property, and they could sleep in their beds, and they could conscript them to carry their burdens for miles. They hated the Romans. And the Romans despised the Jews. These backwoods, out-of-the-way people who were constantly rising up in rebellion, they hated the Jews. Jews hated Romans, Romans hated Jews. The rich despised the poor, the poor were envious of the rich, women had no rights at all, and slaves longed to be free. There's incredible social tension. And then something dramatic happened at the beginning of the first century. In fact, we mark time by this event. We call it AD, that is, in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. God, the eternal God, the Son of God, who had always existed with Father and Spirit, who possessed all of the divine attributes, omniscience and omnipotence, somehow he was able to take on human flesh, become a baby, grow up, live a perfect life, and then die this brutal death as a payment for our sins and be raised from the dead. And we mark time from that point. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, Jesus Christ changed everything. He made it possible that each and every one of us could be reconciled to God, that is, put back in right relationship with God, and then, being in right relationship with God, we could actually become again people who are in right relationship with one another. That's the power of the gospel. Paul talks about it in chapter 2. He said, in himself, Jesus created the two, that is, Jew and non-Jew, into one new man, thus establishing peace. What was lost in the garden, in the fall, Jesus is recreating. God created man and woman to be in perfect relationship with him and with one another and with all of nature and creation, but their sin created separation and alienation in every single relationship. And now in Jesus Christ, because people are reconciled to God, then they can be reconciled to one another. And so Jesus can create a new humanity. That is, recreate what humanity was originally designed to. To be, But I'll tell you, the church struggled to figure this out. How do we live together and worship together and share our property together as one people when there's so many divisions among us? Economic 
and racial, culture, language. How do we become what? Biggest issue in the early church. And I'll tell you, it took them a long time to figure it out. I would argue that the church is still trying to figure it out. Now, let me illustrate. 15 years after the resurrection, so 15 years after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the apostle Peter had a vision. And remember, we all know Peter, right? Peter's one of the inner three, right? He's one of the 12, but then he's one of the inner three. Peter, he's upon this rock. I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter's the guy who preached the first sermon of the church at Pentecost. Peter, he's amazing, right? Nearly perfect, right? As soon as he learns to hold his tongue with the Holy Spirit, he gets, he's an amazing guy, right? But I would argue that, that it took Peter a long, long, long time to really understand the nature of the church. So he was given a vision 15 years after the resurrection. God's Spirit uh, caused him to fall in this deep sleep. He's on top of, of the house resting. And in his vision, the sheet came down and he had all kinds of unclean animals. We don't think of these things as unclean now, but you know, it's, it's shredded pork and it's lobster. It's all kinds of stuff we'd love to eat, but Peter wasn't allowed to eat that stuff. Peter had not eaten that stuff ever. Vision came down multiple times. Peter, arise, kill, eat, arise, kill, eat, arise, kill, eat. And he's wondering what in the world is going on with this vision. And then God's Spirit says, somebody's going to come and they're going to ask you to, to preach the gospel. Sure enough, someone walks up and says, there's a man here. And he says that God sent him to bring you to the city of Caesarea to preach the gospel to Romans. Seriously. Well, if it hadn't been a vision that happened three times and it hadn't been the Spirit of God, Peter would have stayed right where he was. Right? But instead, he got up and he went to Caesarea and he went to this Roman home. Not just any Roman home, but it's the home of a Roman centurion. That is a Roman soldier. Probably one of Peter's bitterest enemies. And the Spirit said, go preach to him. The story goes like this. As Peter said to them, that is to the Romans, a whole household of them. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to even visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man holy or unclean. Now, we talked about this briefly last week, but I want, to, I want you to just, I want you to get, feel the moment. Feel what's actually transpiring here. Peter shows up at this Roman home and he says to them, as he's standing on uh, the threshold of the door, he says, you do realize... That if I come into your house and if I shake your hand or I embrace you, I give you a kiss on the cheek or I eat your food, that my God will no longer like me. My God will no longer want me to be in his presence because you will have polluted me. Just being around you, it it pollutes me. Do you realize that? Do you you understand? That's what Peter is saying to them. In fact, he says at the end, God has shown me I should not call any man unholy or clean. What had he done three days ago? He had called every man unholy or unclean if they weren't his race. Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, was a committed racist. Do you you see what's going on here? Peter saw in himself something that was superior to every other person on the face of the earth that was not Jewish. Imagine starting an evangelistic conversation like that. (laughs) I'm only here because God told me. But if we shake hands... God's not going to like me anymore because you're pretty unclean. Can you imagine how to to win friends and influence people, right? It was only the Spirit of God that could do this. So notice what Peter says. God has shown me. God has shown me. Even Peter, apostle, founder of the church, had to have the Holy Spirit 
pull back the veils of his, veil of his eyes so that he could see his, his broken, fallen, sinful attitudes in himself. God has shown me. And men and women, it's hard for us to see those things in ourselves. We don't want to see those things in ourselves. We can't, it's difficult. We can't look in the mirror and say, okay, yeah, I do have pride and I do have fear and I have shame and guilt and anger and these things are, are polluting my relationships. It's difficult. And so what do we need? And what is my prayer for us as a church? That God would show us. Right? That God would finally pull back the veil from our eyes and we would see that and we could repent of that so that we could be men and women who reconcile others into this new humanity. So this morning we're going to do something that's a little bit different. I've asked a friend of mine to join me, and he's from a, a different background. Uh, the, the background that he comes from ethnically and culturally is different from mine. So he, I'm hoping that he can give us a little different perspective to look on ourselves and to look on the body of Christ and the church's calling. Well, let me give you a little background. Uh, Bishop Maurice Green is the pastor of the Lily of the Valley, Church of God in Christ in Bryan. Uh, he's also a bishop over the country of Mexico. So he oversees Mexico for his denomination. And when I was asking him for some clarification on this, I said, so just Mexico, right? And he said, yeah, Brian, it's a, it's a big country. I said, yeah, just one nation, right? Bishop Green, yeah, just one, just one. And he's here this morning. He's with his wife, Barbara, and uh, we got to worship with Veronica Jackson, their worship leader. I'm going to tell you, though, about my first encounter with uh, Bishop Green. I came home after we'd had a, a lunch with several pastors in the community and I, I just said to my wife, I said, wow, I think I've just been in the presence of, of one of the godliest men I've, I've ever met. Bishop Green is a man, you, you're going you're gonna to experience um, Bishop Green in a moment. He's, he's got this deep, rich spiritual life. And I told my wife, it's like there's a presence in the room when you're with Bishop Green. And if he's going somewhere, then I'm going. Wherever he says, let's go. Deep spiritual life, deep love for Jesus Christ, deep, deep love for his word. And he's had a tremendous impact on uh, Bryan College Station community for several decades. So it's really a privilege for us to have uh, Bishop Maurice Green with us this morning. Bishop Green, would you come on up, please? All right, Maurice, let's... uh, Let's start with uh, personal. Just give us a little bit of background. Talk about your family. I want to thank God first for being here and thank God for my friend, Brother Brian Fisher, pastor of grace. Amen. And I thank God for God bringing us together for such a time as this. I am the pastor of Lily of the Valley Church of God in Christ, the husband of Barbara Ann, who is here. Barbara, will you stand? Amen. <laughs> Barbara and I are the proud parents of six children, four boys and two girls, and the proud grandparents of 25 mm-hmm. grandchildren. Amen. <laughs> amen. In our family, amen, we have my son and my daughter, or uh, former Aggies, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law, my two daughter-in-laws, my one son-in-law, they are also Aggies. And my brother started A&M in 1965, so we're a family of Aggies, amen? <laughs> so thank God, amen. So uh, that's my family. Excellent. Um, a little bit about your spiritual journey, how you got to this place. Uh, I got here by the grace of God. It was God's divine will for me, even through the passing of my mother, 
at 12 years old. I couldn't understand it. At 12 years old to lose my mother. I was devastated. I was troubled. I was restless. But at 15 years old, the Lord Jesus came into my life. I heard of a revival on the next street from where I lived. That The evangelist came out of Dallas, Texas. And he had a speaker on the church outside. And it just lit up the neighborhood. And it sounded to me like the world was coming to an end. I just knew that I needed to be there at that church. And this was in the December of 1963. My brother and I were downtown Bryant. And uh, I asked permission to go to that church. And he wanted to go with me. And I didn't want him following me. You know, as an older brother, you don't want to have the responsibility of watching over your little brother, especially when you're going somewhere. And I'm glad he went along because I fooled him to go into the church. We got to this little Pentecostal church. It's cold outside. You know, and back in 63 when they had winter there, it was really winter. They had icicles. You know, not like now, but then you had icicles, you had snow and whatever. So it's cold outside, and I talked my brother into going in. I said, you go in, Wes, and I'm going to follow you. He said, okay, man, I'm going, I'm going. So he wanted to please me, so he went inside. And uh, I went around to the window, and I was watching to see what he was doing. Wes went in, and he sat down, and he was clapping his hands. I started laughing. I'm outside in the cold. I started laughing. I said, look at old Wes. All of a sudden, it's like the Lord Turned the cold on me. I mean, it was cold. It started. But I got Wes. Wes is inside. I can't go on without Wes. Wes got me trapped. (laughs) (laughs) I put Wes out to go in. Now I'm trapped. I can't leave without Wes. So somebody came to the door and I said, hey, could you tell my brother, come on. They said, come on in. Come on in. So I went in and I said, way back at the back. But, you know, in the Baptist church, they normally say the doors of the church is open. Anybody want to join church for some reason? I felt that kind of push and I went down to join church as I thought it, you know. But they say close your eyes and get your mind on Jesus and invite Jesus to come into your heart. And when I did that, out of the sincerity of my heart. Coming from a broken situation with my mother passed and my dad marrying someone else. uh, I was just a lonely kid. But I invited Jesus to come in. And when Jesus came into my heart, the chains, the shackles, the pain, the tears, all of that diminished because Christ made a difference. He enlightened my mind. He opened up my understanding. He caused me to embrace truth. He transformed me. Gave me a yes, Lord, down on the inside. And then gave me a desire to fulfill all righteousness by saying yes to do whatever he would say to me to do. Is that what you asked me? It doesn't matter. That's good. (laughs) So how, okay, so how long now have you been a pastor? I've been pastoring around 35 years. 
Okay. Is that all? It's 35 years, one nation, 35 years, I guess. Well, yeah. pastor, <laughs> pastor slash evangelist. Yep. I'm an evangelist. I'm a world evangelist. I travel different parts of the world. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so two, kind of two things I wanted to get out this morning. Um, one is I want to get a sense of, of uh, your experience of the culture. You know, maybe give us a, a little bit different perspective on what you see happening in the culture, and then we'll turn the corner and we'll talk about uh, what the church is called to do as uh, salt and light in the culture. So first, uh, maybe just talk a little bit about what it was like for you growing up as a young black man in Bryan, Texas. Um. I came up in 1947. I was born Christmas Day, 25th. It was a Christmas baby to my parents and a gift from God to the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) coming up in Bryant College Station during the years of blatant racism, and prejudices, I dealt with it firsthand. I couldn't go to a certain water fountain and drink from it because it says colored only and white only. I couldn't go to any restroom I wanted to because there was a sign that says colored only and white only. If I wanted to get a hamburger. I couldn't go and order it from the front of the cafeteria. There was a wall where the cooks, who normally were black, they were cooking in the back, so you go down the wall to the back where the kitchen was, and there they allowed you to order what the people were ordering out front. So I dealt with that. Or even when we were delivering, I worked with my uncle, for uh, uh, a, an appliance place. I can't think right now what, I forgot the name of it, uh, but it was a hardware place downtown. And uh, if we were all, uh, delivering appliances, we couldn't go to the front door. We had to go to the back door because that was not accepted. In some houses, some houses still practice the separation of races. That was in the 50s, in the 60s, not long ago. So I dealt with that. But fortunately for me, my relationship with Jesus Christ transformed me. So I couldn't hold animosity or or bigotry. I couldn't retaliate from what people leveled against me, the love of God in me transcended that. It overwhelmingly empowered me to love those that didn't love me. So I dealt with that. So when when desegregation started to occur, did you move schools? Did you stay where you were? How did that affect you? Desegregation, see what people don't understand, it wasn't a desire of the black community to invade the schools. We just realized that was not parity as it reflected uh, all of the amenities that education would offer. Matter of fact, the books that we were handed many times were books that were handed down. They were not 
new textbooks. They were used. And if you got a new textbook, man, you felt like you had arrived. You know, you celebrated. Your name was the first name in the book. You know, not Joe Salazar or Bonnie Scasta. Your name, Maurice Green. Wow. First name in the book. First name in the book. So we dealt with that. We did not necessarily want to be bused to the white schools because that's an unfamiliar territory. And then the racism that was uh, there, the hostility, it wasn't as bad in Bryant College Station as it was in maybe Selma, Alabama, different Mm -hmm. places. But it was still there, blatant, subliminal racism. And uh, the Lord blessed us to overcome there was racism even in the uh, exams that many of the teachers were forced to take because many of the education systems were different. So the testing was not based on the abilities of uh, the blacks to those black educators to pass the exam. Mm-hmm. So many black teachers lost their jobs in the desegregating of schools. So that black structure, that black community, that black unity was interrupted. Okay, let's talk about that for just a minute, that, that, that sense of black unity. Because what you just described is completely and utterly contrary to anything that I've, I've experienced growing up. I didn't, I didn't experience that at all. And I remember a couple of years ago when, when uh, some of these racially charged incidents just began to come to the surface more and more, and we'd see more things uh, happening in the news that I, I pulled aside a friend of mine, young young uh, black man, and I said, you know, when you when you see this event happen, uh, how do you feel? How does that affect you? What's you know, what is your perspective on that? You know, not not knowing all the facts of this particular incident, but how do you how do you respond to that? And um, you know, what he said to me, Brian, he said, you know, um, he said, Brian, no matter what the facts are in this particular moment, he said, I I feel this like that. Anytime anything ever happens to a, a young black man, he said, I. I feel it with him. There's something about us because we are one. And I said, you know, that's, that's really interesting. That kind of helps me see things a little different because if I hear an incident, you know, happens to a, a young white man, I don't immediately go, man, that's, that's me, that's my people. I don't, I don't connect with him. I immediately think about just that incident and the facts of that incident. I don't have any sense of solidarity with him. So can you talk a little bit about that, you know, how, how your community views things differently? The suffering... And the historical suffering of the black man in America uh, being enslaved and brought to America, that suffering that continues even today, that prejudice, that bigotry. So when the black man encounters that or hears news of that, There's a unifying, an associating. You recognize that it's wrong. And you partner with the people that have been wronged because they're doing it to you, though they're not doing it directly to you. Watch, when I was in California and I was a firefighter, there were about 400 firefighters. And so all of a sudden, they had an exam and they gave us an opportunity to compete. 
And so I became a firefighter. Uh, and when I did, there was a statement made by one of the firefighters said, hey, if you hear us say nigger, we're not talking about you. But he failed to realize he was talking about me. Because there was no way in the world I could separate myself. From your community. From the community yeah. or who I am. Though I knew it didn't really define me. Yet and still, he leveled that on me. Or he would say, when we come in the room, they say, wow, look at all those black birds. Mm-hmm. You know. So it was racially charged. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really fault the individuals, but because behavior is learned. That's learned behavior. It's a product of his environment. So the Christ in me allowed me to see that and to deal with that. Contrary to some people that have not been born again, they take it differently. They feel like retaliating. So a young black man comes to you and there's an injustice has occurred in his life. And how do you, how do you, how do you mentor him? How do you counsel him? What, what, do you, what do you say to him? I counsel him from the eyes of God. I look through the mirror, through, through the telescope, the eyesight of God, through the heart of God. When I'm dealing with him, I can't deal with him like the old, before, unregenerate Maurice Green. I have to talk to him from who I am. I'm no more my own. I've been bought with a price. Mine is blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. So I have to let my light shine even to him. Even though he's been wronged. I got to come up with a peaceable solution. Create a dialogue where they can possibly settle their differences. Even if it's uh, police brutality. I have to understand that everybody that's following Black Lives Matter. Uh, are not really peaceable. But then there are some peaceable individuals. And then there are some people in society who don't want to be prejudiced and don't see themselves as prejudiced, just like Peter. Peter didn't see himself prejudiced when he went to Cornelius' house. But Peter had a before Cornelius' house experience. He was on the housetop. And God let him down before him, all kind of beasts, manner of beasts, and told him to rise, slay and eat. Peter said, not so, not so. I don't do nothing like that. That ain't nothing I can do. You got to remember, I'm a Jew. That's not kosher. And so God said, well, whatever I've cleaned, don't you call common. I don't do nothing. He said, so, so God dealt with Peter prior to sending him on the mission because Peter had a very serious mission to accomplish. But he had to be transformed from the prejudices that he did not realize he had. Somebody in this room may have some prejudices that you may not recognize or may not admit you have. Like my son says, he said the Lord gave him an understanding, gave him an analogy. He said, uh, I love dogs. He said, but I don't let the dogs come in my house, eat, at, eat with me, nor jump up in my bed. But I love 
dogs. Love him, but I don't want him in my house. I don't want him around me. I don't want him in my house. So that's the way some people are. I love white people, but I don't want to in my house. I love black folks. Some of my best friends are black. <laughs> so what are you really saying? Do you really love? Because the Bible said love worketh no ill to his neighbor. When Christ came, Christ broke down the middle wall of petition. Whatever separated us, he prayed to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son uh, that whosoever, that included you and I, regardless of race, ethnicity, or culture, whosoever you are, whatever color your skin is, could have access into this grace. Jesus Christ has paid the price not just for white man, black man, but for Asians, Jews, Gentiles. Everybody has an opportunity to come boldly to the throne of grace. Hallelujah. The way has been made. The door has been opened. Hallelujah. Christ is our declared redeemer. Hallelujah. By one blood are we all baptized into one body. And God wants the church to mirror that. If anybody can resemble that, the church of Jesus Christ resembles the love of God. That on the day of Pentecost, they were all on one accord in one place. Pentecost resembled the plan of God. God gave each one of them his spirit. Listen, one Sunday morning, (laughs) my wife remembers this. I uh, went to H-E-B, got a big loaf of bread. Fresh baked. And I brought that loaf into my church. And I broke that loaf. And gave everybody a piece. Everybody had a piece. Nobody was left out. But when it was all said and done. Everybody was the loaf. Everybody had been united by the breaking of the loaf. Jesus said take this is my body. Which is broken for you. Jesus allowed himself to be broken for all humanity. That's why we assemble today. We assemble because Jesus paid it all. The blood of Jesus covered the mercy seat. Gave us access into the grace wherein we stand. What did you ask me? (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going. That's fine. I I told first service this is... If you have a conversation with Bishop Green, this is how it goes. It, you know, we just kind of follow where we're going to go. And we talked about that. It doesn't matter. We'll just go. And then the, you know, and then the word just kind of starts pouring out. And, and, and then he gets kind of ramped up. And so we're just going to go. I don't know what the question was. Well, see, see, what God really wants us to know is to know him. Jesus said, this is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. When man fell from grace, the knowledge and understanding of God was lost. He compromised away his relationship, the intimacy with God. God came walking in the cool of the evening saying to him, Adam, where art thou? And Adam said, I'm hiding. He said, what did you do? Have you eaten of the tree? That's what caused the break in relationship. So God was not willing that we continue to perish because disobedience caused us to perish, caused the break, 
caused death, hell, and destruction on fallen humanity. But God was not willing that any should perish. God gave us deliverance. He raised up a second Adam and called him Jesus. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. Isaiah said, uh, uh, he, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities and the chastisement of my peace was upon him. God through Jesus Christ has opened up the avenue of salvation. Jesus said, come unto me, oh ye that labor and are heavy laden. You that have been born again, Jesus Christ has commissioned you to take the same love of God without prejudice, without bias, without bigotry. As Christ has loved us, so he told us to love one another. Told the father, I pray that you make them one with us. He didn't say divide it. He said one with us. That we might represent the body of Christ, the Lamb's bride. God okay, bless so you. So Maurice, tell me practically, what, then what can the church do to be reconcilers uh, in the community? In our, in our families, in our, in our own homes, our neighborhoods, but also in the community. What can the church do? Practically, what can we do? Stop being territorial. Stop being afraid of one another. Release ourselves to the sovereign will of God. Realize it's no more I, but it's the Christ. Christ, our Redeemer, came and said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. God is about to make him a new man. Where the middle wall of petition has been destroyed, there is nothing dividing us. We are brothers. We have the same father. We've been begotten again unto a lively hope by Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. We are having now an inheritance incorruptible and that fadeth not away. So God wants the church to mirror the will and plan of God via the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that makes us partakers of the nature of God. Our nature changed. Paul said there is therefore now. No condemnation to them. That are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus. Hath made us free. From the law of sin and death. I was saddled by my personality. That I inherited from my first father Adam. There were things that I would to do good, but evil was always present. But when the second Adam came, he gave me an inheritance. He transformed me from darkness to light. He translated me into the kingdom of his son. He conformed me to the image of Jesus Christ. Now I'm no more my own. I've been bought with a price. Now if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. We have this treasure in the earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power might be of God. In other words, God is testifying that he lives in you. One man from this church, he came to me a while ago. I met him at the football game. I went to the concession stand. And this man was just flowing with hospitality. Flowing with love. I just wanted to talk to him some more. I, 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 I was, you know, time was, was not allowing me to do that. But he, I remembered him and I met him again this morning. He said he went home and told his wife he met a man. Well, I walked away thinking I met a man. That's the way we ought to exchange 
teach you the love of. When I meet you, I should meet my sister and my brother. I don't. Brian is not my white friend. He's my friend. There is no division. I don't have no problems. There are no complications separating us. If we are divided, we choose to be divided. Not because God had ordained it. The middle wall of petition has been separated, destroyed. Now we're one with him. Yeah. I don't know what asked that. Was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, okay. I, I, I feel okay. allow me. I feel like God allowed this dialogue. As you all know, race relationship is a very delicate subject. Our world is torn to pieces. It's no reason for us to be going backwards. Too much work has been done to bring harmony and unity. We should not allow politics or anything else to destroy what Jesus Christ has given his life for. Jesus Christ died to hinder The forces of Satan to destroy us. We are being destroyed from within. We are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We should be able to reach across the aisle, regardless of what aisle it is. And see something that's common among us. That draws us together, just like the floods in Houston and Florida. Drew people together. People that didn't even know each other. Sometimes didn't even like each other. But they had a common tragedy. Look at Mexico. The earthquake where I was in Mexico City. All the people together were screaming and running out of the airport. Out of the terminal. Thousands of people evacuated. 7.1 on the Richter scale. Destroyed homes. Destroyed lives. But something Tragic calls a uniting. People came from all over parts of the world to help try to find bodies that were under the rubble. There should be another tragedy. The only tragedy that we have seen is the death of Jesus Christ. And his blood should bring all of us together. That we realize we're no more divided. We are united through Jesus Christ and God is pleased with the death of his son. Hallelujah. Now we go all over the world preaching the gospel. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He wants us to preach the message of Jesus Christ. And God has seeded our hearts with love because love is the foundation for reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have the power to transform lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, mirroring the love of God. By this will all men know you're my disciples, because you have love one for another. There are going to be some difficulties, there are going to be some trials. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that come to try you, as though it's something strange. But knowing this, that the trying of your faith, when we have difficulties that allow God to show himself preeminent, more powerful, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. God has given us this time together before the day of his coming 
before the trumpet sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We have work to do. No time to be sitting idly by pointing fingers and calling each other names, but loving God through the warmth of the Holy Spirit. God's blessings upon us. To Amen. God bless you. Amen. For, Amen. Forgive me. Forgive me. No, for yeah, I don't I love you. I love you. You are my family. And I love you today. Hallelujah. Thank God for the love of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the glory of God. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the power of the blood. The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus, we have remission of our sin. Our sins have been remitted. Our sins have been forgiven. Now we have an opportunity to love one another, to reach out and to embrace one another through the love of Jesus Christ. It's not my love that I'm loving you with. It's the love of God. And the love of God constrains me. Mm -hmm. I just can't help it. I can't help it. Doesn't constrain you much. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now now you know why I love this man. Hallelujah. God bless you. I told pastor, I say, we, when we were sitting in the office, I, we looked at each other because I told him this was bigger than us. When we pastors come together, we realize God has given us an assignment. We realize that our community and our churches need his presence because God has commissioned us to change the complexion of this world. Through him, through love. But it has to start with the leaders. So we leaders, we pastors come together. It's not about who's in charge. We don't have no pecking order. It's humility. We show the love of God through Jesus Christ. So God has given us this time together. Hallelujah. This is a wow moment for all of us. God has blessed us today. I don't know whether this is happening in any other church in Brazos Valley or even in Texas or even in the world. But it's happening at grace today. It's the glory and grace of God Almighty. Come on, somebody help me say grace. Grace. Bible said, by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It's the gift of God. We've been gifted by God today to experience grace. And I thank God for this man of God today. Come on, let's celebrate him. Let's celebrate him. Okay, I need to I need to give you a commission before you leave. And uh, there will be a quiz. Uh, you need to tell me every reference that Pastor Green spoke <laughs> without giving you the reference. Second Corinthians chapter five. Paul says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now, all of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, church, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating people through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
I want to challenge you to be reconcilers. I put a little card underneath the pews and you can pick those up and pass them down. And it just gives you an opportunity to be really specific in your application. I want you to write two names of people that you want to see trust Christ. Two names of people who are like you, friends or family, and then two people who are different from you. So those who are near and those who are far, right? Church, what what grace means is this. Grace means that, that we take the initiative. We do not have the right to sit back and be passive. We have the obligation to initiate, particularly with people who are not like us. So I want you to write those names down. Then I want you to share them with one other person so you have accountability that you are praying for these people and you are seeking these people because that's what God has done for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God didn't leave us wallowing in death. Instead, he initiated and he came after us. And so we want to be people who do the same. Okay, let's do that. Pastor Green, please, would you close us in prayer? Praise the Lord. I take pleasure in the opportunity that God has given us to share. Will you pray with us today? I said a while ago I was in the earthquake and I experienced the devastation. They're constantly having earthquakes in Oaxaca and in Mexico City and Chiapas, Morelos. There's steady hurricanes and floodings and devastation. We're safe here in the Brazos Valley. But ye then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. We're going to look at the needs of others. And I want to thank God for grace sending aid to Houston and to the various areas to help. But we need to pray because something is happening. Something is happening in the atmosphere that God wants to get the attention of the world. God wants to bring the hearts to humility. So we need to pray because Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray that he would send laborers. Let's pray. Eternal God, I want to thank you for this opportunity that you've afforded us through the death of Jesus Christ. The blood of the Savior that covers the mercy seat whereby we've gained the atonement. Our sins have been remitted. But God, you told us freely we've received to freely give. I want to thank you for the opportunity you've given Pastor Brian and myself to come before the congregation And to deal with some subject matter that needs to be discussed. That we might look internally and see our insufficiencies. Where we can build ourselves up on the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I pray the spirit of the living God infuse us. And let your word resonate in our hearts. Change our minds. Change the way we think. Change the way we think concerning each other. Change the way we feel concerning each other. And if there's anything in our lives that's contrary, any bigotry, any prejudices, God, will you take it out? Will you merge us together in love? Will you make us one? Will you dissolve in us our differences? Will you make us aware of how much alike we really are? That out of one blood you made all nations. That we can say, Abba, Father, together. And if you do it, we'll praise you. If you do it, we'll give your name the glory. And you shall be glorified. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank Pastor Green for coming with us. Be with us. Thank you. Love you. Barbara, thank you for coming. Veronica, thanks for singing with us. Uh, you are dismissed, but you are dismissed out to go be missionaries and reconcilers in the world. And we'll see you next week. God bless you.